This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, True Pilot Stories from the World of General Aviation. In this episode, a Colorado pilot on a VFR mountain cross-country has few options when encountering a wall of cloud. Oxygen might be a good idea in Nowhere to Turn by Ronald F. Urban. The weather conditions and the forecast had been cavu, so I was puzzled and dismayed by the massive accumulation of white billowy clouds dead ahead at my altitude. A few minutes later, I could see that the coverage was quite extensive, and I had to do something pretty quickly to avoid being trapped in solid IFR. Climb, I thought, while going to full power, raising the nose and stabilizing the climb at 75 knots in the 1956 Cessna 172. While 91 Alpha responded as expected, I soon found it distressingly obvious that I would not be able to climb above the rapidly approaching solid wall of white peril. Maybe I can still get through underneath, I thought. I was hoping to complete my first solo cross-country flight from Gunnison, Colorado to Montrose, Colorado. It was March the 2nd, 1969, and by then I had accumulated about 50 hours of flight time, mostly in Indiana. I had moved to Gunnison to teach at the local college. My flight instructor advised me that because of high elevations, density altitude was a constant concern especially in an underpowered 172, and weather-wise flying in the Rockies was quite different from navigating around the typical seven-mile visibility in the Midwest. Since I had acquired about a dozen hours of dual and solo experience in the Gunnison area, and I had completed a dual instructional Gunnison to Montrose trip, I was confident that I could manage the comparatively straightforward flight. However, what I had apparently missed, and what I was soon to learn for myself, was that Rocky Mountain weather can be really fickle and hard to predict, especially in winter. I called Grand Junction Flight Service for a weather briefing and learned that the area forecast and current conditions at Montrose were nearly perfect for the 50-mile, roughly half-hour cross-country flight. The field elevation at Gunnison is 7,680 feet MSL, 
while Montrose is at 5,759 feet. The direct westbound route takes one over the stunning and imposing Black Mesa, a broad tree-covered plateau more than 9,000 feet high in the Gunnison National Forest, immediately north of the Blue Mountain Reservoir. Since spring comes late in the high Rockies, there was a deep blanket of snow on the mesa that probably topped out at more than 10 feet. I filed a flight plan for 10,500 feet MSL, thinking that I would easily avoid most of the obstructions over the Black Mesa. As I arrived for the flight that day, I learned that my regular instructor was away, and a different CFI would serve as my backup flight supervisor. The substitute instructor was a student at the college. He quickly reviewed my proposed flight plan, asked if I had checked the weather, and then wished me a good flight. I launched into one of those deep blue, cold, cloudless Colorado skies on a heading of 280 degrees. I wasn't on course for more than 10 minutes when I spotted the intimidating and impenetrable wall of clouds looming ahead. Unable to climb above the danger, I thought that by descending just a bit, I'd be able to remain clear of the worst part of the overcast. I pushed the nose down and leveled off at about 10,000 feet MSL. The visibility was now about a mile, but deteriorating fast. Push that nose down even more, now, I thought. The descent barely put me in the clear, and looking down, I could see an endless forest of spruce trees heavily blanketed in snow, racing by at 100 miles per hour and not more than 200 feet away. Since I knew that the Black Mesa was only about 20 to 30 miles wide on my present course, I reasoned that so long as things didn't get any worse, I could continue until the ground sloped westward toward Montrose, perhaps in five minutes. To my chagrin, the visibility kept rapidly deteriorating, and I was forced to descend until I was merely 50 to 100 feet above those gorgeous snow-covered spruces flying into the gauzy haze that often exists beneath an overcast. Worried that I would pick up ice and apprehensive that I could now see only about a quarter mile ahead, I quickly concluded that it was time for the classic 180. To my surprise and alarm, however, when I looked to the rear, the visibility appeared to be much worse than what was ahead. Concerned about the possibility of running into obscured higher terrain, I considered a controlled emergency landing, and at my 9 o'clock position, spotted a clearing that I was sure I could squeeze into. As I reached for the flaps handle, I had an epiphany. A forced landing in deep snow? Even if I survived the initial impact and wasn't injured, things could get really interesting with the temperature hovering in the single digits. I discarded the idea of a forced landing and desperately scoured the exceedingly narrow band of airspace between the forest and low overcast for any other possibilities. At my 11 o'clock position, where the ground dipped into a V ever so slightly lower, I could make out the beginnings of a creek drainage heading south. I banked toward that nameless creek. As I flew 50 feet above the shallow snow-shrouded drainage, I could determine that it was beginning to drop off at a noticeable angle, and I began to gradually descend. 
Finally, after no more than a minute or two of steadily improving conditions, I suddenly and miraculously burst out from the overcast into that brilliantly sunny, bright blue Colorado sky. I now was over the Blue Mesa Reservoir and finally was able to climb back up to a safe altitude, banking towards Gunnison. My backup instructor didn't seem particularly concerned that I returned quite early, and I was too inexperienced to fully comprehend what a close call it had been. Forty-seven years and 900 flying hours later, just thinking about the experience now unnerves me more than it did when I made the flight. I was incredibly lucky. Many things could have gone terribly wrong, from actually ditching in that snow-covered clearing to the chance that the nameless creek led into an impassably narrow canyon, to the possibility of encountering blinding snow showers well beyond the Blue Mesa Reservoir. In retrospect, there were several warning flags. First, my lack of experience with flight service may have led me to miss any reference to possible snow showers in the vicinity. Second, my substitute instructor may have unconsciously deferred to my judgment, flawed though it was, because I was on the faculty at the college and he was a student. The difference in our situations meant that he might not have checked the weather independently and declined to lecture me about what to do at the first sign of trouble. But my greatest miscue was failing to initiate a 180 at the beginning of rapidly diminishing visibility. The process of continually acquiring new aviation skills and competencies involves a delicate balance between excessive risk and unwarranted caution. In this regard, I hope that I will never again dismiss any nagging red flags simply because I've become so overjoyed at the prospect of slipping the surly bonds of Earth. The Never Again Podcast is brought to you monthly by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out AOPA's mobile flight planning app, AOPA Go, as well as the many free training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely.